Mary Breslin has over 25 years of experience in internal audit, fraud, accounting and management. But not only that, she also gained her experience with working for global companies like Costco, Barclays Capital, ConocoPhillips and Ward Longyear. She has implemented and managed audit programs in more than 50 countries all over the world. Additionally, she has led fraud investigations in numerous countries spanning six continents. That is what you would also have found doing a quick background check on her. When I talk to my guests, I'm interested of what is not obvious, what is not written in the curriculum. I would like to look behind the scenes and learn about the human who impacts corporate integrity. Mary is one of my global peers I highly appreciate as we are spending our time in the same environment of expertise. I'm glad to have you here spending the next minutes together with us. Corporate integrity, fraud, non-compliance and cybersecurity. Would you like to understand the root causes? detect threats and take measurements to protect the most precious assets. As a leader, you need to be prepared and stay actionable in the event of an incident. Sonia Sternemann talks in her podcast, The Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. To leaders and entrepreneurs who want to have impact, foster corporate integrity and act as role models. As an international expert for corporate governance and integrity, entrepreneur and independent board member. She knows the challenges. Let her inspire you. Welcome back to this new episode of the podcast, Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. You might be a board member, executive or non-executive, a business professional, a corporate integrity leader or on your way there. I'm your mentor and sparring partner when it comes to corporate integrity with impact founder of Corporate Integrity Concepts with the different formats for corporate integrity leadership. With the vision to protect and secure assets, reputation and actionability, yours but also the one of your organization. Why? Because corporate integrity matters to all of us. But now let's listen to what Mary has to share with us in her field of expertise when it comes to corporate integrity. So Mary, it's great to have you here as we haven't talked to each other for months and only virtually last time. So with you, I have a guest which is really in the same environment as I am with all these kind of investigations. And as I know you, you you must have thousands of hours of investigations. So it's great that you could also share that with our listeners today. Yeah, pleasure to be here. And yes, I have stories upon stories upon <laughs> stories. I think that's what I'm most famous for is my all of my fraud investigation stories. <laughs> and you know, just before we start and out of curiosity, because I know when you are you when you are not on stage or giving trainings, you conduct really fraud investigations. And I do. Where is your heart now? At the fraud investigations or on stage? Neither. Um, it's probably in the training. It's probably teaching the world how to not need me as a fraud investigator. You know, mm-hmm. um, when people ask me what I do for a living, I tell them that, you know, I, I, you know, I manage a boutique firm that provides continuing education around fraud and audit and things like that. 
And, you know, we try to teach companies how to protect themselves against fraud, but then we also provide investigative services when they don't get it right, right? <laughs> I would rather they get it right. Um, you know, and since it's Fraud Awareness Week, I will say that I think that's where my heart is, mm-hmm. is trying to get fraud awareness training to like everybody on the planet. Like, I don't care what organization they, they work in for themselves so they don't get, they don't fall victim to phishing attacks and social engineering and things like that in their personal lives. I think that's where my heart really is. And if the stage gives me a, a spotlight so people come to me for training, then I will take it. I do love doing investigations. I'm not going to pretend I don't. I certainly have tons of, of just <laughs> oh, yeah. movie-worthy stories. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, And I do like proving that the fraudsters are not smarter than all of us because they mm-hmm. often think they are. You know, I like proving them wrong. So I do enjoy that. So if you say now your heart is at the training and the aware, um, awareness part, and yes, we are now in the midst of the of our fraud awareness week. So yeah, what do, what do you experience? Because sometimes also I hear that in my environment, and hey, we don't need that. You know, it only happens to the others, but it doesn't happen to us. And I tell them, hey guys, yeah. if I come back in a year, it's most much more costly than if we could do the training right now. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have some clients that I have done repetitive, repetitive. Um, you know, fraud investigations for, but they're privately held companies. And so they don't bring in the, that third line of defense. They don't have good compliance. They don't have good audit. They don't provide fraud awareness training for their folks. And they're surprised when they get hit over and over and over and over again, you know? Um, And I have, I have a lot of organizations that are resistant to training For a multitude of reasons, sometimes it's money, which I can understand. It can be costly, not as costly as a massive Mm -hmm. fraud within the organization, of course. Um, And I have a lot of people who surprisingly are resistant because they're afraid we're going to teach individuals how to become fraudsters, which I will admit is a possibility for a small, tiny handful of bad actors out there. It could happen but I really do think it's unlikely. And so what? (laughs) If you turn everybody else into a fraud fighter, those bad actors aren't going to get away with it for very long, are they? (laughs) If they would like to commit fraud, they could also do that without your training, I think. Yes, absolutely. So I I find that to be a bit of a hollow um, rationale, but I think I I see different, I do a lot of work with a lot of groups around Mm -hmm. the world. So I've, I've, you know, one of my claims to fame is I've done fraud investigations on six continents, but even what's more important to me is I've actually worked because I was an audit for all of these large global companies. I've actually worked in over 70 countries. And I do think that organizational culture, but also country culture plays a really huge role in how like fraud is perceived, not just how it's perceived by whether it's good or bad, but whether the opportunity exists. You know, I have a um, a client in Belgium who is, you know, they're in the biotech world and they're a wonderful little company that's really trying to change the world. And they sat next next to like a huge pharmaceutical company, one of the big names who I'm not mm-hmm. going to name because I'm going to say bad things yeah. about them right now. But <laughs> 
but they're, they were operating with all of this groundbreaking technology. They're literally trying to, basically, they're trying to do what Theranos claimed it was doing. Yep. <laughs> they're actually trying to do it. And um, they were operating on a wide open internet system. No protection at, I know, no protection at all, sitting next to this major pharmaceutical company who they're, this smaller company is going after, basically going after cancer testing and helping yep. to do early detection of cancer and stuff next to a pharmaceutical company who provides a lot of cancer-related drugs. And I had to explain to them, these are people with like multiple PhDs, like mm-hmm. everybody in the room was way smarter than me. And I had to explain to them that you can't have an open internet, that they may steal your information, that there's espionage. And they're like, no, that would never happen. We're all just trying to make the world a better place. And I'm like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> but I do see that naivete where it still can't happen. People still think it will never happen here. And you know, I and think we, also, we know they, it will. they are not aware and they, they cannot think out of the box of the boxes they are in. And I think they are great in what they are doing, but they can't oh, yeah. imagine that people could be so badly to them. And that's exactly what you're saying. And remember right now with the open internet, people don't want to think about that. No, it's just out of their, you know, of possibility. Happens to other people. Exactly. So it could never happen to them. And here we are also back to the to the idea of corporate integrity. You know, it's yeah. it's not only the integrity you have within the firm, but also what you expect from the other ones, from the other market yeah. players. Yeah. Yeah. You know, global integrity or corporate integrity, excuse me, is really the only thing that's going to save us from these problems, yes. to be honest. <laughs> Culture is the single greatest driving force for behavior, both good and bad, in any organization. And, you know, I've gone in and I have facilitated fraud risk assessments for organizations and stuff. And it's amazing how when I start talking to the executives around the risks around them, they're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) They just want us looking from them down. They don't want us looking at them. And I'm like, yeah, but it's all about you. What what Susie and payroll does is not going to make you hit the the, the you know <laughs> the media. <laughs> what you guys do could lead to media reputation and potential downfall, which we've seen far too many times, right? Um, and so they they want to exclude themselves, and if they do, then it it kind of destroys the whole concept of corporate integrity. And they they have to be leading it, not just trying to grassroot it throughout the organization, exemplifying yes. themselves. And what I see, it's not only that they um, exclude themselves as a person, but they also exclude their colleagues, you know, in the, oh, yeah. in the boards and also in the non-executive boards. They just in- exclude these kind of group, which doesn't make sense because yeah. if it hits you, it's all about the boards at the end, you know, it, it's not the, the Susie in the payroll in the payroll department hitting the um the, the company with the biggest fines. Yeah, I um, you know, I I had a a situation in one of my companies where we had an executive who committed fraud, and it was it was personal fraud. It wasn't like financial statement fraud. They basically mm-hmm. did a, a a expense reimbursement scheme. They were buying business class tickets all around the world putting them in for reimbursement right after they bought them. Then they were putting them in a second time with all of the receipts from the trip. And in about a six month period, they got away with about 70 
$5,000 of, of extra pay. And we caught them because we had very sophisticated data analytics around travel and expenses. Mm -hmm. And we probably caught two to three people a month around the globe who had violated, you know, our rules. And my team would, and we, we were very good about this. Like we did not catch, we didn't report somebody on the first violation. We would wait five or six months to see that it was a pattern to, to know that it was intentional, Mm -hmm. right? We were looking for intentional and we would put everything together and we'd give it to HR and HR would go. And these people, nameless, faceless, rank and file employees all over the globe would just get fired. Mm -hmm. They would just be terminated. And then when this individual um, came up on this report and I gave it to the executives, the CEO, the CFO, the executive vice president of HR, they were very upset about it. They were like, oh my, well, we're going to get her down here. We're going to find out what's going on. And, you know, they were ready with termination paperwork and everything. And they, she sat in Canada. They summoned her down to our corporate offices in the United States. And she came in and I saw her come in. I actually saw her out the window when she got dropped off by the taxi, the taxi caught my eye. Mm-hmm. And then I saw her leave and I'm like, what happened? So I go upstairs and I'm, cause I thought they would call me up to mm-hmm. be part of the conversation. They didn't. And I get in there and the CEO says to me, which by the way, the CEO is very, very ethical, never yep. any issues with him. So let's start there. I never had any issues with him. But he, he says to me, yeah, it was an honest mistake. She's going to pay the money back. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She just, she's overwhelmed and she just got confused and stuff. Okay. You get confused one time. You don't get confused six months straight, right? Doing this. The other thing that really bothered me was in all of my career, she's the only executive I've ever come across that had her own personal administrative assistant and didn't have the admin do her expenses. No. And then, yeah. <laughs> and you, but no, he, here, I think you are really touching another point. And that's also what I see, you know, it's about the sanction. If something yep. happens, how do you treat, how do you treat that incident? If you are not yep. um, giving the right signs, you can never have this culture of corporate integrity? Well, you know, what happened was, unfortunately, I think they truly believed her. I I don't think, I think they truly believed her. Whereas the same exact offense from lesser people at lesser dollar amounts, they just fired them. Just zero tolerance, just fire, 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 fire. Because they didn't know those people. They were nameless, Mm -hmm. faceless employees out in the field somewhere that they did not know. This was somebody they knew. They traveled with her. They had dinner with her. They knew her spouse. And it becomes much easier to believe her. Now, what the unfortunate result of that was, and how I'm going to tie this back to corporate integrity, was this. That analytic that we had, we had a huge uptick in violations after that because the word got out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how confidential your investigation is or how confidential your audit work is. Everybody knows what what records you pull. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is. Like the people in that area that handle those, they knew what you looked at and they start talking to each yeah. other. Right. And it got out very qu- quickly what had actually happened. And, and that basically was a signal mm-hmm. to the employee base. And we started seeing more and more violations immediately after she did not get terminated. And I think, you know, the problem was when they really reacted like that is that they were biased because it was that person, the person they knew already. Yep. That's just one part. And it's, it's also much easier to social engineer someone if you know yep. them 
because you exactly know what the trigger points are. And it's exactly with the, with the signals you send out because this is just a great use case and also how a role model should not behave because people watch and see everything. You know, the board, um, when I had my next, when we had our next board meeting and I was having my audit, I was the chief audit executive. I was having my um, audit committee meeting. The entire board always showed up for the audit committee meeting. So it was basically my own personal board meeting, which was awesome. But (laughs) they asked me about this because they got a lot of the fraud reports. They were, they loved all of the analytics that we did and all of the active fraud detection that we had in this organization. And they had seen her name come up and they asked, they're like, hey, we asked the CEO, he told us the story. What do you think? Do you think mm-hmm. it was fraud or do you think she just made an honest mistake because she's overworked and too busy or whatever? And I said, well, she has an admin. She could have had the admin do the expenses. I haven't done my expenses. I think I said to him, I haven't done my expenses in 15 years. You know, I turned them over to my admin. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, now she could be somebody who is like a control freak type yeah. that really wants to do them herself. I said, but here's the bottom line. I said, she's either incompetent of doing her own expenses or she's a fraudster. You it decide which one you want running your, your business. <laughs> and um, they, they agreed with me. And um, about four months later, she got terminated for something else. And apparently it was the board that pushed for that. Okay. But I think that's, that's also a good sign if the board yeah. thinks about that, you know, and also listens to you who brings up that, um, that kind of topic, because it also needs to be done by someone. And also you, in your position, you had to speak up and explain it again. And you were asked yeah. by the board. And I think that's also the awareness I would like to increase or would like to be seen increased on board levels. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, while ultimately I feel like the right thing was done, it, it wasn't public why it was done, right? And I, I don't think they were going to say she was fired for fraud because she was an executive that would have had to gone in the annual report, right? So yeah. it, later on, they're not going to go, oh yeah, this is where they made up another reason. So the damage was already done on the employee base, which mm-hmm. was the unfortunate thing. And as you well know, it takes a lot of time to rebuild that kind of, you know, integrity back. Yeah. So we ultimately saw an increase in bad behaviors. We had a few other things that happened around that time that kind of made it look like it was okay to do bad stuff. We had some executives that were spending exorbitant amounts of money on like corporate apartments. Well, penthouse is a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like we had a couple of executives who had gone out. We had a new facility in Miami that we had just built because we had a lot of business in Central and South America, and that was a gateway. We could get native-level, Spanish-speaking, mm-hmm. speaking business level and all in Miami. And so we had a couple of executives who went out and got uh, corporate apartments, furnished apartments. It turns out they were penthouses, and they were like roughly $25,000 a month each. Which were paid by the company. And maybe Which not, was paid by the company. Not the, right? the strategy or the policy um, of the company, I, I Yeah, assume. so... The, the idea behind a corporate apartment is to save money over, mm-hmm. you know, hotels if you're there <laughs> lots, right? And they were spending less than one week a month there. And, you know, I actually had the accounts payable director come to me with these invoices and say, everybody is talking about these. She's like, when these came in, oh, and the executives prepaid them too. So there was no chance that they could be told, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. 
Um, she came to me, she's like, you need to say something. So I went and I sat down with one of those executives and said, Hey, you know, we probably need to do some perception management here. Mm -hmm. And what I fully expected was he was going to say, Oh my, yeah, of course. You know what this is? We got these two penthouses because everybody who travels to Miami is going to stay in these, like everyone's going to use them. It's going to be for everyone. And so it's going to be a cost saving. That is a hundred percent what I expected to hear. And instead, what I heard was, how did you find out about this? No. <laughs> yeah. Not and he even said, I want to know. Yeah. He wanted a name. He goes, I want to know who showed you these invoices. And I basically said, you do know what I do here, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he would not. And I just, I thought we needed to do some like messaging, like, hey, mm-hmm. do an announcement. We have these two new apartments that everybody's going to be using something to manage perception. But no, the perception was actually right. These two executives basically got these, and they were like four bedroom penthouses. To be, so I don't know what the plan months, was huh? there. But we started seeing, and as soon as word got out around that, we started seeing an uptick in like people pushing the boundaries on what was allowed for expenses over and over and over again, right? the hotels that exceeded limits, mm-hmm. food, meals that exceeded limits. We just, you could, I mean, the, it's all in the data. Like you could mm-hmm. just see it. And so it was, um, it was pro- it's like trying to swim upstream, you know, uh, trying to reel that stuff back in when the leadership doesn't lead by example, mm-hmm. um, you're not going to have a culture of integrity no, and you're going to you see it change throughout. And you mm-hmm. always have, that's what you, you said at the beginning, you always have to start at the top because otherwise it doesn't work out. And if they are not looking at themselves and also their colleagues yeah. and peers on that level, you cannot have a culture of corporate integrity, never. And you don't, yeah. you know, and it's also worse, uh, useless and worthless somehow when you have these kind of trainings because people exactly know they are not, you know, it's not... Um, appreciate it if they be, yeah. behave like that, you know, and they always yeah. feel bad if they think they are the only ones just behaving like they should. Mm-hmm. You know, the sad thing, and, and I'm just going to reflect on our society here in the United States. I think that the sad thing here is this problem is not, you're going to have organizations that want to be ethical and, mm-hmm. and, are led by people of integrity and that's, you're going to see it throughout the organization, but we have a lot of really old companies and changing those types of companies to a culture of integrity is going to require a shift in our society. You know, right now it is still bottom line at all costs. Mm -hmm. And so the vast majority of decision-making is around earnings per share and the bottom line. And until we go to some form of responsible capitalism, those pressures on those executives are not going to change. You know, I, I, I said to you before we started recording mm-hmm. that I, I believe in my heart of hearts that the vast majority of executives in publicly traded companies at some point in their career had to consider whether or not to break the rules, break the law, do something unethical to hit expectations. Yes. Many of them didn't do it, Mm -hmm. but most of them had to consider it at some point or another. And that's, that's problematic from a societal perspective, right? Until we embrace um, responsible capitalism, where we look at our employees and our communities and not just the bottom line, we're going to continue to have these problems. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, it's 
at the moment it's still on short notice and it's still still the yeah. short um time frame they see when we talk about corporate integrity and a culture of corporate integrity but i think in the long run but also for the shareholder value for example it will increase if you have because it costs you fraud always costs you know and um sometimes it takes 18 months sometimes three years until um, we detect it but at the end it costs you much more than if you would invest in such kind of culture but I absolutely agree. They are not measured in the long run. They are measured on yeah. short on short term um, KPIs. Yeah, and you know, it, it, and that's that's something that shifted over the past few decades, right? You go back to like 1950s when some of these companies were really starting to to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, post war, you know, companies are really starting to get a foothold. They were planning for 10 years. Companies don't plan for 10 years. No, three years. No executive expects to be there for 10 years, yeah. right? So there's a mindset shift that has occurred and there's a focus on what's even considered long-term. Today, most executives that I talk to, if you talk about long-term, they don't see past you know two years. They do not see past 24 months. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what I see here, and I think especially also in Europe right now, the family-owned businesses they have a different mindset, you know, they are, yeah. they are older somehow and they exactly know that they have to invest and have a really forward looking long-term view on their, on their success story. Otherwise they will mm-hmm. not, they, they cannot compete with the others. And I think that's also what happens if you are, but you tell uh, what you said also before, before we started recording with all these IPO um, stories we, we see right now, oh, a lot of them are really on short terms. Yeah, and we've got we have this unusual thing that's happening in the world um, with these SPACs, where these special purpose acquisition yes. companies are basically a loophole into publicly traded. There is zero chance that that is not going to result in massive regulatory issues for some of these companies that don't realize what they're getting themselves into. They're going public overnight through the back door. And, you know, I've done a bunch of IPOs in my career and there's there's a year and a half to two years worth of groundwork getting ready for that, getting all of the compliance and regulatory things in place, all of the things that you know you're going to need to have in place, not just getting your books and records mm-hmm. in order, but all of the legality that has to happen. And um, that's not happening with these, these SPACs. And I, we're going to see a wave of frauds as a result of them probably in the next two to three years. I mean, they were up. There was like, I thought, God, I I don't have the numbers exactly, but they went from like, there was like 5 billion in 2017 to like 200 billion this year in these SPAC deals. And I know I don't have those numbers exactly because I don't have them in front of me, but it's, it's that kind of difference. So I'm just trying to show that how dramatic and these celebrities that are backing them, what people don't understand is they don't know anything about these companies. They don't even know what kind of company is targeted to be purchased at a later date. And they put in these minimal, minimal investments into them, tiny amounts of money for a celebrity, but they get like a 20% investment in the new company, which means they can walk away with millions, even if it's an utter failure. It's mm-hmm. It is just a recipe for disaster. As a matter of fact, I just wrote a class for the ACFB 
on detecting um, fraud in mergers and acquisition due diligence. And I have a whole section on SPACs in there. But that, you know, M&A transactions, they are, how should I say, the possibilities for frauds are huge. You know, we had we had investigated so many purchase price agreements oh, and yeah. stories, which it's so interesting. And I'm also looking for the for the for investigations we are going to have on these packs because mm-hmm. we have to say we see the same. Here oh, yeah. Europe, you know, I don't know the figures by heart, but it's exactly the same hype here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's a anytime there's a back door or a alternate way of doing something that's normally highly regulated, you're going to end up with a bunch of fraud and scandal and everything yes, and else. You know, for some of the people that think it's a, it's an easy and cheap way. Well, it is. To do that. And, and that's why it's going to result in problems. You know, it, some, exactly. So, but you still have the problems and you still have to be compliant and you still have to mm-hmm. set up the structures and procedures to make sure that, you know, that it really As a out. matter of fact, when they go after a substantial company that's private to take it public mm-hmm. through these SPACs, it's even more problematic because the bigger the company is, the, large, the harder it's going to be to wrangle it into shape if it doesn't already have all of that in mm-hmm. that existing infrastructure. If it's not already following GAP or IFRS, if it's not already got internal audit functions and compliance functions and all of it, if all of that's not already in place, there's not going to be enough time to meet, to meet the allotted time frame yep. to get those things in place yep. um, for a larger organization. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what but, happens. But Mary, I think people don't think about that. Oh, this is all too. <laughs> we are so, we are so boring with all our topics and all our structures and the regulatory issues, but I think we just see it because we know what could happen because it's just, you know, because we did it for too long, maybe, you know. <laughs> oh, that's all I think. Of. And I and I when I when I talk to people, I say, don't worry, I read all this stuff and I research all this stuff, so you don't have to. <laughs> just follow me. Yeah? <laughs> no. Yeah, just follow me. I'll tell you all about the horrors of the world. <laughs> But you know, sometimes, you know, we are, we are really the ones who always see the bad things or, you know, the worst yeah. cases, but we have to, you know, I think we are just complementary to all the other ones um, and t- showing them what needs to be done to make sure that we are compliant, you know, not yeah. only regularly compliant, but to all the structures we have to follow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think once you start really doing significant amounts of fraud work, you see fraud everywhere you go. Like I go to like, convenience stores and fast food places. And I see fraud occurring. And my poor husband is like, stop. Do you have to see fraud everywhere you go? And the answer is yes, apparently I do, right? And for me, when I go to the restaurant, I always, always, I always check the VAT. And in most of the, of the cases, it's not correctly done. And I don't have a final invoice. I ask them, they tell me they can't do it. I said, you have to because of the, you know, but yeah, it's exactly the same. But I think we it's, still um, have the ridiculous old school here. We finally got chips <laughs> in the United States in our cards, but they still take your credit card and disappear with it, right? Yep. <laughs> and enter the information. And then at any point in time during that night, if they want to change the amount that was on the tip, they can, because we still have these antiquated systems here. And I ask people about that all the time. Do you check your receipts to your statement? Because I guarantee I if you do, you'll find somebody who changed the tip on you at some yep. point, right? But uh, yeah, everywhere I go, I can't help myself. I see something. 
I, I was at a, I was speaking at the FDIC, which is mm-hmm. the federal deposit right here in the United States. They protect the banks, they insure the banks. And um, I speak for them once a quarter and I always speak on fraud for them. And uh, it's only an hour and a half talk and I fly in and I fly out the same day most of the time. I won't try that now because the airlines have reduced so many flights that I can't possibly risk that. But I used to be able to do that, right? And so I flew in one time and my jacket was like wrinkled. I had this really light uh, light pink um, crepe suit, very pretty suit. And so they have this wonderful like... um, you know, speaker ready room where you can go and it's got like an iron and stuff. It's like, it's a hotel room essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I, they didn't have a steamer and you can't iron crepe, but I tried to use the, you're, you know where this is going. I tried to use the iron steam to like steam out the wrinkles in my jacket. And I burned a hole about the size of like a cantaloupe no. in the arm of my jacket. Now, luckily, the lining of the jacket was exactly the same color as the suit itself, but I had this big black like scarring, like like burn marks around the, the thing. But I'm on stage, right? So it's a auditorium where I do these talks and I'm on stage. So they're not like right up on top of me. And we were talking about fraud detection at the very end of my talk. I made a comment about how, you know, once you really start seeing fraud, you, once you become good at looking for it, knowing what to look for, yeah, you can't stop seeing it. I said, much like this giant hole in my jacket that most of you probably have not noticed until now, but you will not be able to stop looking at from this point on. And I had like 50 people come up to me afterwards and go, oh my God, I couldn't stop looking at the hole in the jacket after. <laughs> I never noticed it until you said it. And then I couldn't stop seeing it. And I was like, that's fraud, my friends. Yes. <laughs> And that's just how we are biased, you know? I mm-hmm. think it's all about the biases. It's like the anchoring, you know? If you just have mm-hmm. a figure, you can't, you can't get away of that figure, even though it could be multiplied by 20 or whatever. And, you know, it's, it, it's exactly that. And we just, yeah, I think that's just the problem. If you are in such kind of um, specific territory, you can always see what, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, what's, uh, what's funny about me, and I think you're very much the same, is Despite that, I'm still a very optimistic, like, you know, happy person. Like, I don't go through the world like, everything is bad, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I still think that the good guys far outweigh the bad guys. And, you know, we're still figuring stuff out, but it certainly can be figured out. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, yeah, no, I'm not frustrated at all. And I still like people. I still like Yeah, me too. You know, and I, I, I also trust people, you know? I'm, how should I say, I'm... I trust people, but of course, I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> of course. You know, it's funny. For I've been doing fraud for, oh gosh, I guess 20 years now. My God, when did I get to be this old? I started um, in 1992 and it turns now 29 years. Huh? Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I, I started in audit and I, I, I was aware of fraud investigations, but I really didn't get involved in any probably until I was a good 10 years into my career. But I, um, you know... I look back at, you know, where I was and I realize I still have some of the same natural tendencies, which is my brain still, even though I'm an experienced fraud investigator, my brain still tries to make up logical excuses, rational reasons for what I'm seeing. My training tells me, stop that, Mary, (laughs) go look at what's really happening. 
But like, I will see something that should be a red flag. And my first instinct is to come up with my brain will automatically fill in the blank of what it could be that would make sense that wouldn't be fraud. Wow, and then great. I have that's to like think my way out of that. And I think that's also interesting now for our listeners. You know, they don't have to feel bad if they always would like to come up with the next excuse yeah. saying, no, it couldn't be fraud. Because a lot of, that's what I see, you know, a lot of the of the board members or, or the, or the C-level management tells me, hey, they feel bad about not having seen that and not followed through the red flags. And said so it could happen to everybody because it's just a human a human being. We don't want to, we don't want to have these red flags. No, we naturally want to believe what we're being told and we naturally yep. want to trust people. That is our default mode as human beings. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to circle back to where I started. That's why fraud awareness training for all is so important. <laughs> Because then it teaches you to, okay, stop for a second and pause. But no, you should never feel bad if you weren't trained that you didn't see it because that's just being a human being, you know, that's. And I think the more use cases we have and the more we also share our experience and tell them what could go wrong, they can also learn. They don't have to go through all these learning exercises by themselves Mm -hmm. in their organizations, but they can also learn from others. And it also helps you to become more aware of what would be possible. So we had one client just a few weeks ago and tell him, hey, what I have seen in the same industry as you are in are these kind of patterns. Please check whether you also have those. And, you know, that's exactly what they need. And I think it's so helpful if they can see that during such a training. So, but Mary, I think we have to come back and have another session just talking about investigations again. <laughs> <laughs> no, so thank you very, very much. Can. It was so great to have you here because you are really one of my investigation professional peers out in the world striving for the same vision. Oh, yeah. And, I had some fun um, ones was, recently too during COVID. It, yeah, exactly. And it was really a pleasure for me and I think also for all the listeners. So if there are listeners out there and if they would like to be linked with you via LinkedIn and connected and maybe they also need to have some kind of fraud awareness training, are they allowed to um, to write you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm easy to find. And I'm pretty responsive too. So perfect. Yeah, I'm easy to get a hold of. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. I'm everywhere. <laughs> so perfect. Now I wish you all the best for the next investigations and especially Thank you. the fraud awareness trainings are really, how should I say, the main parts of your work now also in the future. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll never get away from the investigations, you know, I don't think because they're not going to stop happening. The frauds aren't going to stop happening. But uh, hopefully I'll prevent some with some training out there. You will. And, you know, we all learn from the investigations and bring it back to the oh, awareness yeah. training, isn't it? Yeah, it's always fun to explain an investigation and have like half the audience just sit there with their jaw open. Like that actually happened like that. There's, you know, people did that. Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So, but thank you very much. And I wish you now a great um, evening. And um, thank you. thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. This was today's episode of the Human Factor Corporate Integrity Matters with our guest, Mary Breslin. Following the motto, Corporate Integrity Secures and Empowers Individuals and Organizations, Thank you for listening. My name is Sonja Stirnemann and I'm your host. Stay curious, actionable and a role model. Take care and goodbye. Would you like to learn more, meet peers and getting qualified? So visit the website Corporate Integrity Concepts or Corporate Integrity Academy. Or do you think this podcast could be interesting for someone you know? 
Sharing is caring, and we are always happy to welcome your peers to our community. And if you like this episode, subscribe and don't miss any of the future ones. The show notes are, of course, enriched with relevant information and your connection via any of the social media channels is highly appreciated and will be answered. Promised. And please do not forget, topics of your interest or interview partners are highly welcome. Just send me a note on any of the channels you know. <laughs>